At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, February 5th, 2024 edition. And it is Monday, and that means Luke is back with us. Thanks for jumping on this Monday, Luke. Thanks for having me. It's good to see that you weren't washed away in some of the flooding that's been happening the past two days. Not yet, but we still have a lot more rain to come over the next couple of days. So uh, I know we have listeners all over the country, but here in California, we are seeing an unusual amount of rain. Usually rain happens here in the winter. You know, we have little spurts here and there, but multiple days in a row fairly rare, right? Yeah, pretty rare. The LA River, which for those who do not know, is a uh, a dirty arroyo that they just carved through Los Angeles. It's not really a river at all, but it helps with, with flooding. Uh, nearly overflowed yesterday, so it'll be interesting to see what it's like tonight and into tomorrow. Well, it's doing, the, it's, doing its job. It and, is indeed. And we must do our job. And our job here is to help all of our listeners become better investors. And it's one step at a time. It's not something that's going to happen overnight, but you learn things every day. Luke, we learn things every day all the time, reading and doing research, and and that's what this is about. Uh, you have to do some level of consistent upkeep, maybe a little, maybe a lot, depending on your investment strategy and your ultimate goals. But that's what we're to hear. We're here to be a part of that process that can help you make better decisions with your money on a consistent basis, and we do that by answering your finance and investment questions as well as giving you our unbiased perspective developed with over 20 plus years of investing experience. And we're going to look at the market performance today and run down some show, to- show topics. But as usual, we are going to hit our first caller question now. Hi, Justin. This is Clyde from San Mateo. I'd like to ask you about a biotech stock called Vistagen. V-T-G-N, Victor Tom Gary Nelson. I'd like to get your thoughts on it. Thank you very much for taking the call. All right, biotech. I call them the original Ponzi stocks. And 99 out of 100 of them, they sell the dream of a miracle cure. And those one out of 100, great, they make a lot of money. But those 99 out of 100, they tend to just burn a bunch of capital and produce a lot of losses for shareholders. Now, Vistagen Therapeutics is out of here in California, out of South San Francisco. It's a biotech firm in the clinical trial stage engaged in developing and commercializing products, product candidates for patients with disease and disorders involving the central nervous system. And they have six product candidates, five in clinical trial stages. Uh, Luke, they're burning a lot of Capital per usual, negative $31 million in free cash flow, trailing 12 months. They do have a lot of cash in their balance sheet, but that's because they've just been issuing more and more shares. 
Is this one of the 99? Regardless of if it's one of the 99 or not, anytime an investor takes a look at a biotech company like this, which is pretty dependent on at least one of these drugs being successful, uh, should know the risk, uh, which is it could and very well may go down to nothing. So for most people, this is what we would call a gamble. And might as well go to Vegas. Might as well go to Vegas. I mean, this thing obviously isn't making money because it's still in, in the trial phase. It may never make money. Either way, for me, I don't like companies that don't make money. I don't like drug companies that are just dependent upon hoping that one of their drugs passes trials. Now, looking at these products, I hope they're successful. These are some important problems they're trying to fix. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I should give them any money at all whatsoever. Yeah, I would say you probably probably have a better chance of going to Vegas and just putting it all on black. Double your money. I mean, you do. It's, yeah. it's just below 50-50. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and this is in the single digits of percentage that you will actually make a significant amount of money. Now, it did spike up recently, and that happens a lot when one of their drugs get through get, gets through a certain trial, and there's a lot of hype around it. And there will be some short covering and it'll push the stock up. It pushed it from, let's see, about $1.75 all the way to a high of $24, but soon fell all the way back down to within about a week to five bucks. And now we're at $4.59. So this will probably continue to just grind towards the zero line. Uh, and it's not an investment. It is pure 100% speculation. You really need to have an understanding of the drugs that they're trying to get through these trials and be very confident at least one of them is going to actually do that. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes or so, and time permitting, we're going to, fo- we're going to get to all of them. Our main focus point is about the Fed and why everyone is always wrong about the Fed. We always talk about odds of the Fed movements and and rates and the markets and the fed itself is notoriously bad at predicting the the rate moves going forward you know out more than a couple of months so we're going to talk about the federal reserve meeting highlights from last week was that that last week or the week before yeah it was last week that was last week yep and then the federal funds rate targeting and whether or not we're going to hit those targets by year end and what the investor expectations are for interest rates. Now we're going to hit uh, some voice bank questions. One is in regards to Warrior Met Coal and Powell Industries, P-O-W-L. And if we have time, we'll hit on an iTunes review question as well in regards to Lumen. Now, Luke, let's talk a little bit about the market today. Over the weekend, Jerome Powell appeared on 60 Minutes and... If it wasn't enough at the Fed meeting uh, last Wednesday, he pretty much reiterated that they weren't going to cut rates in March, which we've been saying for a while that was a little bit aggressive for the markets to price in. They communicated on Wednesday. They communicated again over the weekend. So to me, that was really the, the main reaction from markets today. Did you see anything else besides that increasing the, the, the value of the dollar as well as uh, interest rates going up? Anything else you saw as a catalyst for this down move today? Well, that was certainly the big driver. January ISM services came in stronger than expected as well. It seems to be the market is probably in a good news is bad news 
case at this point, given that, listen, the way the Fed is looking at this is if we are bringing inflation down and nothing is breaking, there isn't a reason to cut because we don't want to take on that excess risk of having inflation peak back up if we do cut prematurely. So when the market sees news like this with with a stronger than expected economy, it's going to probably lead to a drawdown such as this, given that this would push out the expected time over which the Fed would cut rates. Yeah, it's one of those it's it's one of those uh, news items that you you kind of I we sh- we thought should have been expected, um, and then the ISM report, like you said, uh, certainly hammered home the message that the economy is not doing that bad. Why fire a bullet when they don't need to? And we had the jobs number, which the headline number was high, but a lot of the other indicators uh, continue to show that the jobs market is kind of middling. Um, but that, uh, along with that ISM report, which remember the services side, that's two thirds, three quarters of the economy. And if that is reaccelerating to the upside, that certainly uh, gives them, them room to, to wait. Uh, and then on the inflation front, you're seeing because of the issues in the Red Sea, for example, the you're seeing the cost of goods uh, around the world increase a little bit, not dramatically, but kind of that downtrend, at least near term, uh, has started to abate. So for all those reasons, it doesn't make a lot of sense for the Fed to really get aggressive here and cut. Now, let's go to a break. Let me tell you about tell you to tell your friends and family members about our free Invest Talk downloads available on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And follow us on our social media channels on Instagram and YouTube. Now, the phone lines are open waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. To get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. I'm 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. In today's market, more than ever, you need unbiased investing guidance because it can help you achieve financial freedom. Well, you've come to the right place, Invest Talk. And Justin Klein is here now taking your calls live. So step up with your questions, 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve, Justin, and Luke. This is Paolo from Gaithersburg calling. Um, I have a question about Power Industries. Um, we talked about that one like a few weeks ago. I purchased a small amount and... Um, Actually, I wanted to invest long term, but fortunately, the the stock popped 
more than 50% today um, with the earnings call. Even though I think the, the, the company is very good long term, but I kind of feel like I should reduce my position, maybe half it or uh, even get out of the stock because I, I bought it for the growth of the dividends, but the dividend is growing slow and um, I kind of feel it's ahead of time and uh, maybe it's a good time to talk. What do you guys think? See you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Looking at Powell Industries, a very small cap name, about a $1.5 billion market cap. Clean balance sheet, no long-term debt. That's nice. And what they do is they develop, design, and manufacture, and service custom engineered equipment and systems for electrical energy distribution, control, and monitoring. So the products are applied in oil and gas refining, offshore oil and gas production, petrochemical, pipeline, terminal, mining, metals, uh, electrical, utility, pulp and paper, heavy industry. So fairly well diversified, but uh, in, in the small cap space, but their business has been booming last quarter. Revenue is up 53%, earnings up over 1,000% year over year. Look, they're only making pre-pandemic 85 cents a share. This year, they're supposed to make $7.69. And obviously with those that the latest earning announcement, this uh, this stock took off went from 81 all the way to 127 and change close today. Certainly overbought near term, but does it look like you sh- he should be tr- selling all of this or trimming it? It seems a little overvalued to me on a relative valuation basis, about twice the price to book that other companies within the sector have. Certainly it's had a good year uh, and 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 the forecast the market like that as well uh, but what the caller was saying was is now a good time to at minimum trim down and i would say yes i mean you you can trim down into overbought conditions you can you can get some of that some of that profit off the table um i, I don't see a reason why not to trim at this point yeah i i i would agree taking a little bit off the table would would make sense i i honestly wouldn't take a lot though uh mainly because i like the business i like where it's at i like the trends here and my, my only trepidation is that earnings are supposed to fall four percent next year so is that the is that are that are that is that the analysts telling us that there there's a mean reversion coming potentially uh and if that is if even if it just levels out here at around seven dollars per share in earnings then it's a little bit expensive. They continue with mod, you know, pretty good growth. It doesn't have to be 53% revenue growth like last quarter, but somewhere in the 20 or 30 range, then I think that's this current valuation is fine. But a lot rests on the the growth rate stabilizing at a high rate, and that's still a big if, and that makes uh, taking a bit off the table here make a lot of sense. Now, we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Best Talk Voice Bank. If you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888-99-SHARK. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. 
to talk to Don in Orinda, California, looking at NYCB, New York City Bancorp. Oh, hi there. Um, I guess I was a little bored last week, had some money needed. I have a, a, a portfolio with uh, a lettered portfolio with a bunch of bonds. Bottom line is I bought the New York uh, Community Bank uh, Corp uh, bond. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, it took a dive. Um, the question is, it, it looks like it, it will be go. It it is under review. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, whatever that means, um, it's a BAA three. Mm-hmm. So it may go from investment down below. Mm-hmm. Um, the real question, when something like this happens, do you just simply push the dump button saying, oops, and, and take that loss? Or in this case, it's a bank, a, a community bank that I think may be able to survive, but it really doesn't look that great. So what would you do? You're, you're right. It does not look that great. Uh, we talked about this. Was this last week, Luke? Uh, and it was, yes. Yeah. And... You're right. It's probably going to go into junk territory. They they took big write-offs on some of their their commercial real estate loans, and they acquired was a Signature Bank from America. Signature Bank, yeah. And uh, obviously, they were they did it maybe under duress, shall you say, and that with not a lot of time to look at the quality of those assets. And now a year on, obviously, the quality of those assets are not nearly what they had expected or signed up for. And that's the big question. Is this going to drive them into bankruptcy? Now, the issues with banks, as you saw with Silicon Valley, is when you have a situation like this, how much deposit flight is there going to be? How sticky is the deposit base of NYCB? Frankly, I don't know that off the top of my head, (laughs) uh, but that's something to look into. Now, if it's sticky, then I I think they can kind of probably muddle through this. My first question would be, what's the duration on this bond? When does it mature? Uh, I'm going to say 28. Okay. So you have four years to uh, keep this in line, and and that's that's a decent amount of time, right? Uh, A lot could happen in four years. And... You know, this is, I've, I've said this for a while now that these community banks are not where you want to invest, whether that's on the equity side or the bond side, because when, uh, you know, the proverbial, proverbial, you know, what hits the fan, then these things can uh, spiral down quickly. Um, so I would say they probably muddle through, but it's very high risk. Uh, depends on how much risk you really want to take in your portfolio. At this point, you are taking high risk by holding it. I don't know, what are your thoughts, Luke? Do you, do you think you should just dump it? Like you said, it's it's difficult to know without the makeup of uh, their deposit base. You yeah. know, one of the issues with Silicon Valley was a lot of it was startups and venture capital firms, which all texted each other and decided yeah. to run. Uh, yeah. That that certainly is probably not going to be an issue with this bank. That's a the long issue time to me. It, it's it's underlying assets, right? The yeah, fact the, that they have so much exposure to New York, commercial real estate as well. Yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 a tough call. There's there's certainly a likelihood that you hop in line with every other creditor, uh, which which certainly is is bad as well. Probably from personally from a opportunity cost perspective, if the haircut you're taking is not too bad from your purchase price, I would probably just get rid of it now. 
Yeah, do you know what it's trading at? Uh, I'm going to say 87. 87? Yeah, I would just move on. Probably not yeah. taking that big of a haircut, to be honest with you. Uh, they'll probably be downgraded uh, away from investment grade to junk, which also would put pressure on the price, meaning because there's a lot of uh, funds that cannot hold junk-rated debt, and they would be forced to sell. Uh, so, yeah, I would probably move on. Your haircut's not that much. Uh, there's too much risk here. Uh, if this was down in the 40s or 50s, I might say, you know, that's pretty much priced in and your recovery value would be, you know, as much or higher. Uh, but there's certainly more downside risk here than upside. Uh, and you never really like that situation. So I would just move on. But but in general, if you have a bond mm -hmm. that has been performing and then all of a sudden you get a notice that it's under review, um, is that a time to say, you know, cash out and I'll look for for something else? Well, just or, like everything uh, in, in the markets, it's, it's not all created review. equal. Now, is it a time to take a look at it and say, why is it under review? Sure. Uh, and maybe that review is not for very good reason. Maybe it's a minor thing. Maybe they change CEOs or, or whatever, right? There can be a lot of reasons why the the rating agencies put a, a company or a, or a uh, uh, bond under review, but it's it's not a one size fits all. It's okay. Why is that happening? You should definitely take a look at it. Uh, and in this case, trading eighty seven, I think there's more downside potentially to come, and I would probably just sell it. But um, it's not a reason in and of itself to just dump a position. Thanks for the call. Now, the next Invest Talk, a look into this topic. As layoffs surged, January hiring was a record low for the month. Job cuts were driven by broader economic trends and strategic shift towards increasing automation. And we'll break that story down tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero, and we're ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team 
addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open 888-99 chart. Now our focus point concerns this question. Why is everyone always wrong about the Fed? And when I say everyone, this is mainly the market, Luke. And we've been talking about this for a while that market watchers are increasingly confident in the next rate cycle being uh, is or commencing sometime this year, meaning uh, to the downside. But the expectations remain that the Fed will cut up to around four percent by year end, even though Fed wa- the the Fed prognostications themselves only have that cutting to around maybe four and a half percent. Um, so traders have a pretty bad track record of predicting central bank moves beyond uh, the the next couple of months. And to be fair, the Fed does as well if you look at their median long-term paths of interest rates. So it's not just uh, the, the, the markets. But it's pretty interesting to see this. And you know, I guess there's a couple of reasons potentially why. But why, why do you think that the market – kind of consistently gets this wrong. Well, I'm not at all surprised. And I I think maybe Reframe gets it wrong. I think at a spot in time estimate, the market is extrapolating what is going on today forward. Mm -hmm. And the market is doing it in more of a haphazard way because the market has no control over it. The Fed is doing it less of a haphazard way because they have all control of it. They're going to be more conservative. The market is just going to uh, be more widespread in their assumptions, would you say? So I think what they're both doing is taking today's data and saying, given what we know today, this is what we expect. But the problem is, is we don't live in a static world. And so things change. When the Fed says they're data dependent, what they really mean is things are changing. We're going to look at the most recent data each time we make a decision. But I don't necessarily think the market is, is wrong. I just think maybe people look at market assumptions and try and give it meaning that it doesn't necessarily have. Mm. So maybe it's because there's a lot of speculators in the market that are piling on to the trade one way or the other. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would absolutely say that. And 
I think the key here is the market and the Fed tend to get it wrong months away. Mm-hmm. But when you get closer and you're asking about the current month or, or the next month, given all the data that you have leading up to it, eventually they tend to come to the right decision most of the time. Yeah. Well, about a month ago, there was a 70% chance there'd be a rate cut in March. Now the probability is about 20%. So uh, it's flipped pretty dramatically. And you know, a lot of this too, I, I think, is a reversion to the markets expect a reversion to the mean in some ways. Uh, you know, Meaning, hey, we were at next to zero rates for over a decade. And we tried to get off that for a little while, and then COVID happened, and then we were stuck at zero again for uh, a year and a half, two years. And so I think the expectation is that, hey, they're going to go through a cutting cycle, and that's going to be dramatic. It's going to go back down towards, right, if we're at five now, maybe it gets to two and a half eventually, because we were at zero. When in reality, you know, maybe the cutting cycle is modest. Maybe it's only three or four cuts and you go back up. And so a, a lot of this is hard to break the break the uh, assumption that rates will or the Fed will be more aggressive uh, than they have in the or will we be as aggressive as they were in the past. And I think that's especially true now now in today's world because the Fed tools are different. If you look at what's happening kind of behind the scenes, obviously we talk about the treasury and their cadence of how they are going to issue debt that influences liquidity. And so interest rates have a lot less impact uh, on monetary policy in general. Um, And so I think that's another reason as well is that everyone's focusing on the rates when in reality, that's only part of what the Fed is even thinking about. And so, uh, no, what, so what does it mean for investors? It just goes back to the market moves based on expectations, a shift in expectations. And by the time that that thing happens, whether that's a rate cut or a rate pause or whatever it is, that has been priced in. And so I wouldn't get uh, too caught up in these. We try not to, uh, but that certainly can be an explainer for why markets move in the short term is uh, was the n- latest news in conjunction or uh, lining up with the, the current market expectations or did it diverge? And uh, so much about market movements in today's world are about that. Now let's go to Sammy in San Francisco. Let's talk about Meta. Uh, hi. Thanks, Justin, for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I wanted to ask you if you think it's a good time for uh, someone to uh, buy uh, shares of Meta. Mm-hmm. Why, why Why? would you say today after it was up 20% on Friday? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been uh, keeping an eye on this stock and, uh, you know, so far I haven't taken the plunge. Um, mm-hmm. And th- given all the uh, news around Meta, what they've been doing, mm-hmm. uh, now that they're actually investing more in AI, do you think this is a good time for somebody to get in for the long term? Uh, well, I definitely say no. Uh, it's it's that's that's an easy answer. You know, Meta has had quite the comeback. They I think they overhired during the pandemic, and they've uh, gone through. I think that the message after the price of the shares fell so dramatically in 2022 fell from 
three set three eighty all the way down to under a hundred dollars per share. Uh, it was pretty clear there was too much bloat. Uh, they changed the name to Meta and the Metaverse, and, and obviously that was a huge flop. And what's interesting, they haven't changed the name back, but the focus of the business has been to right-size their, their workforce and focus on their bread and butter, which is social media. And while the Facebook platform itself is, I think, still dying, Instagram is still strong, um, and, and that's really driving the results. Uh, but technically, it's extremely overbought. Valuations, to me, even though they had a good 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 report, uh, still remain fairly stretched. Uh, what are your thoughts, Luke? Uh, yeah, you know, Meta, like you mentioned, Meta Meta tanked primarily because of the amount of money they were spending on trying to make the metaverse a thing. Yeah. Um, I think one of their business. Uh, channels now with the Quest is probably going to be superseded in the next five years by whatever iterations of the Apple Vision Pro Apple comes out with. So that's mm-hmm. kind of part of their product differentiation there that's that's going to take a hit. They are having a dividend now, which means they presumably aren't going to throw money at wasted or at, at waste of time projects like they did mm-hmm. before. But certainly it's way overbought. If you did want to get in, now would be, in my opinion, a bad time to do it. But more importantly, you mentioned AI. It's about time for the put up or shut up phase of artificial intelligence. There's been a lot of stocks that have been bought up, bought up, bought up on the hype of AI, but pretty soon it's going to, earnings seasons are going to come due and investors are going to expect a return on those types of products. I think probably you're going to see more broad market appreciation relative to AI stocks than you saw over the past year. So that's just another reason that I, I wouldn't say right now is the right time to get into meta. No, especially after this, this run and, well, I, I, I'll commend them for refocusing. I didn't think they were going to do that, <laughs> especially yeah, they almost changed their name to Meta right before the bottom, and which is, is kind of shocking um, considering how, how big uh, of, a, of a thing they made that to be. Um, but in reality, their cash flow and their earnings comes directly from their Facebook and Instagram platforms. Pretty much everything else. Yeah, they have, like you said, Quest, or which was Oculus. Um, now you have Apple. Apple's going to bring those prices down. And Apple's probably going to execute on it better than Meta uh, will or has, um, like Apple usually does. Uh, and so I don't think that's going to be a growth driver. And remember, most of their business is advertising. And so if the economy weakens, that's going to make their earnings and revenues uh, weaken as well. So... Uh, while I commend them for their mild turnaround recently, uh, I, I don't think at nine times price of sales that you would want to jump in at these prices. But you know, uh, a significant pullback from here, you know, I, I could find it as a, a decent value, probably back below say two fifty. That would be an interesting price. Thanks for the call. Now let's talk a little bit about shipping lanes, Luke, and. The recent attacks in the Red Sea has, sh- has shown a, a light uh, on the ease uh, of which it is that these sh- large cargo ships move throughout the world. And the Houthi rebels in the Red Sea are attacking mainly American vessels and allies. Uh, interesting enough, they're avoiding a lot of Chinese and Russian vessels. And so this is kind of a, a new thing in global shipping, uh, where since World War II, 
shipping lanes were open. The United States patrolled them, patrolled the shipping lanes, and has done that very well. But there's increasing scrutiny uh, internally here in the U.S. of how much we really want to be the global police force. Uh, so, look, this likely changes the dynamics longer term, I think, uh, of the ease of setting up supply chains with sourcing labor and capital and physical commodities from around the world uh, and making products as efficiently as humanly possible. And to me, this is an inflationary event or era um, that we have to account for when we're looking at different companies, asset classes, etc. Yeah, it certainly is in that its effect is is very widespread. I think if anything, the past three years, four years, has taught people that the the existing world order is incredibly fragile. Mm -hmm. And when things start to crumble, uh, you have to remember to take a step back that the natural order of the world is chaos and fighting. Mm. Democracy is a very new thing. If you look at a big map, this is something I think Mitt Romney said in his, in his biography that I read. He has this map in his office, and the thing that is the most striking is that the map shows the borders of, of empires throughout history, right? And the borders of, of superpowers throughout history. And every single one of them, with the exception of the United States and its, and its influence, has been not a democracy. The natural state of the world is authoritative. Mm-hmm. And so this is another example of the world moving back towards chaos. And the United States is certainly trying to defend the, or the current order of the world by sending troops in and, and issuing strikes. Russia and China seem to be exempt because I, I, if I recall correctly, they're not a part of the international force that is trying to enforce free shipping lanes. Mm-hmm. But certainly free shipping lanes has been one of the things that has lifted people out of poverty, that has lifted the global uh, economic output over the past 50, 60 years. And I don't know anybody in the developed world who is for higher cost of shipping and higher input costs of goods. Uh, but this is certainly something that's very important for all industries and, and something that needs to be monitored closely. Yeah. And as you said, democracy is not the natural order of things and neither are open shipping lanes. And when ships handle more than 80% of global goods, think about that. 80% of global goods at some point sits on a ship. And when suddenly those, those lanes are not as free flowing as they once were, things can get a lot more expensive. You're already seeing that with what's happening in the Red Sea is that the, uh, the cost of insurance, which used to be negligible uh, on the total value of those goods passing through the Red Sea, has moved to 1% of the total value. And if you understand how much value are typically on those ships when it comes to the value of those goods, you know, that is, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so, so now the question is, how do you avoid that? One is to go around the Horn of Africa and avoid it completely, but that's obviously a lot more fuel. And so there's cost there. And so, all of this is to, to basically show you that these trends of increasing global disorder uh, are not changing. And, you know, as we pull back as being the global policeman, 
uh, other powers are going to step in and fill the void. Just like when you take a leader out of, say, Iraq with Saddam Hussein, it kind of becomes chaos and and a, chaos creates a vacuum. And usually you have people that uh, are hungry for power that tend to be increasingly violent. Uh, they tend to try to insert their influence. And so uh, uh, this is another factor that's going to push the cost of physical goods up around the world. Luckily, Luke, as I said before, two thirds, three quarters of our economy is actually uh, the on the services side, which don't take any ships typically. <laughs> well, unless it's cruise ships. But I, you know, I, I think it's also important to note that this isn't just isolated to the Red Sea and Eurasia. Uh, it's yeah. China is trying to enforce uh, territorial claims that are uh, certainly absurd at best in uh, the Pacific. Russia is is thinking of opening up uh, northern shipping lanes with mm-hmm. with ice melting. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, I don't personally think that China has much added benefit from shutting down shipping lanes that get their goods to the world, considering yeah. that's what their economy really needs, especially right now. Russia seems to be more of a chaos agent. I don't know what their thinking is. I don't know what Putin's thinking is. Um, but, but like I said, this is something that, that certainly can affect lot, a lot of goods, mm-hmm. um, a lot of industries, and like you mentioned, is, is an inflationary point that we, we certainly have to, have to be And so when you think about investing in companies that have or that make products that require you know, broad supply chains with a lot of different inputs, this can throw a wrench in uh, that process. That was Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein with Luke Carrera. We have one goal each and every weekday, and this helps you achieve your own version of financial freedom when our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart No two portfolios are alike. And every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin Luth. This is Ben from Virginia. First of all, let me allow me to uh, join the chorus of voices that are wishing Steve uh, a speedy recovery in this time. Certainly miss hearing his voice. Today, I would like to ask you about your opinion on HCC. That's Warrior Met Coal. I had uh, bought a small position in this several months ago, having heard something good about metallurgical coal in the near future. And then when it was a little rockier, I sold most of that position and maintained a tiny one and then have watched it go up uh, 90% since that time. And I was just wondering, at this point, I see it's way above the moving averages on my charts and was just curious as to what your thoughts are on the space on this particular stock, whether or not it's something that would be worth continuing to buy into a little bit here and there, or if we're waiting for a pullback, or if this recent dip is the pullback to wait on. Any of those, all of those, whatever your opinion on this might be. I'm just really curious. I'll be listening on the podcast. Thank you so much. Now, looking at Warrior Met Coal HCC is a symbol, about a $3.2 billion market cap. And post-COVID, they're earning near record highs, $12.84 in 2022 for full year 2023. It's supposed to make $9.58, then $8.64 this year. But those estimates are going higher. So that's a positive minimal dividend here, about half a percent. And this has ran, Luke, from a low of around 33 back in last spring and hit a high recently around nearly $70 per share. 
Now we're back down to 60 and change. It looks like it's technically rolling over a bit. So it was overbought definitely on the weekly chart. And I would say from a technical perspective, this needs to come down probably into the mid 40s. That would be a good support area from uh, the technicals. What are you seeing on the fundamentals on this name? On the fundamental side from a relative valuation basis, it's pretty similar to other companies within the sector. It's not too over its five-year averages. Its profitability has stepped up, although it took a slight dip last year. Its cash flows took a slight dip last year as well. I mean, it certainly ran. I agree with you from a from a technical perspective. It certainly looks like it's in a new price discovery phase, given that it recently reached a new high. They've been issuing a lot of shares over the past couple of years, uh, which is interesting. But it's got low debt load. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know why they've been issuing. It's not dramatic. It's uh, no. what, f- 51 million in 2021. Yeah. Now they have 52 million. So nothing, yeah. nothing too crazy. Nothing crazy. Yeah. Uh, but they do have net cash in their balance sheet, which is nice. Enterprise value to EBITDA is about four and a half. That's pretty cheap. So it's it's definitely on the cheaper side, good profitability. Although historically their profitability is not nearly this robust. So uh, just be aware of that. But uh, I, I kind of like it. I just would want this to settle out and find some support. And I, there is some support in this level, I will say that, around 60. But the major support is down around the uh, 45 range. So uh, I, would, I would wait for that. Uh, and I wonder, Luke, is this going down because of the Red Sea issue? Remember, this is, this is a company out of Alabama. They have two underground mines there. And they export or they, they sell their steel. Uh, they sell two steel manufacturers in Europe, Asia, and South America. So, you know, maybe the Red Sea is a place where their metallurgical coal goes through and, and maybe that's hurting some of their demand. That could be, t- be a potential reason. I'd look into that as a potential risk. And this is the type of name, while it's cheap, um, I, I think could have a setback like that back into the 45 range. That's where I would probably pick it up. Thanks for the call. Now, Luke, lastly, let's talk a bit about all the ad spending going towards trying to entice the boomer generation into buying the new Bitcoin ETFs. Uh, do you think it's going to work? you think they're going to buy into this? Uh, well, if it didn't work, people wouldn't advertise. I'll say well, that. Not necessarily. They could, they could hope and pray you know, that, 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 that'll bring in more investors. Vanek, Bitwise, WisdomTree, and Grayscale spent around $300,000 from January 11th to January 30th to run TV commercials on Squawk Box and CNBC and Cavuto Coast to Coast on Fox Business. Try to bring in that demographic into an asset class that typically has only been accepted by the younger generation. So that's a lot of money to spend to try to bring in these dollars when they're only earning. Remember, there's just a lot of fee compression in that space. Mm -hmm. What what most of those funds are charging 20 basis points, something like that. Yeah, I will say I will say this. I think the difference between maybe another type of product and this product is at this point, everybody knows what Bitcoin is or everybody at least has heard about Bitcoin and thinks they know what Bitcoin is. So I think the ads in the Super Bowl will just have transitioned from uh, celebrities, uh, you know, telling people to put their money in FTX and buy some crypto to now people telling that uh, the older generation to put their money in these safe ETFs. So it's exciting times. Definitely not safe. Yes. But Let's reiterate, that was sarcastically saying safe. It is not really safe. Yes, exactly. <laughs> interesting, but not safe. I'm Justin Klein. 
Along with Luke Guerrero, and this completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president, and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.